Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, if memory serves. We went back, back in time. Where it all began. <laughs> and then forward in time to where it all ends. Apparently so. How about that previously on Star oh Trek 50 odd years ago? It was so beautiful. The aesthetics didn't quite work for me, but I was just so happy about the concept that I didn't mind at all. You mean like the way it pulled apart and spun around and did the funny things like that yeah, aesthetic? It, it reminded me a little bit of Windows Movie Maker. <laughs> I mean, I think it was supposed to. Oh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I think they were try- They were going for, you know, old school effects. Well, the attempt was very charming, and I really loved the integration of the old and the new and cutting from Jeffrey Hunter to Anson Mount, and yeah. It was really a very pretty seamless transition from Hunter to Mount that really, like, that was well done. Really brought home how good the casting is. Yeah. Speaking of, and I know this is out of order, but I really need to get it out of the way. Last week, sort of at the last minute, we agreed that it was very unlikely that Vina would appear. And there she was, with her beehive and her shiny dress. I know, she had a big part in everything. She was, like, important. <laughs> she had actual agency. It's, it's like she was written by people who knew that women are people. <laughs> what? I know, What a crazy I know. concept. Yeah, this episode did a lot to sell me on Mina. That it was a good idea to bring her back. Yes. I was like, I'm not going to have this expectation to see her because I couldn't imagine it going well. It was either going to be not integrated with what happened at all, or it was going to be bad the way it is in the cage. A horrible retread of 1964 sexual yeah. politics. So I was scared. I was scared of Vina. And so I was like, maybe it'll just be a cameo and that'll be great. It'll be like a, you know, a nod to her, but they won't actually bring her in. But they totally brought her in. And and even though she's still quite, well, quite batshit, really, she has so much more agency and presence. And even though she really is still a manic pixie dream Vina, she felt more like a real person. I still don't understand why Pike would be hung up on her after the after all these years. Like when they're together, eventually after the menagerie and their fantasy world where they're both able-bodied, and I still have a lot of feelings about that. Like, <laughs> what are they going to talk about on 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 a long Sunday afternoon where the Talosians are off being creepy perverts and there's nothing to do? What do you have a conversation about? I mean, I would start with so what happened. When I was a pretty, you're like your Ken doll and not a real person. <laughs> like, I would need to know what happened before we can get into this. <laughs> I, like, does the Pike real doll stick around? Is this a thing? Is this going to <laughs> okay. end up on AO3? That is some... definitely a fan fiction that we can look forward to. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I want to read it, but it's definitely... Someone, someone thought of that. If you thought of that, someone, someone thought of that. Rule 34 means that it's springing into existence as we speak, <laughs> and I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to be delighted by its existence. 
I mean, so one of my favorite relationships in all of genre television is uh, Gaius Baltar and Number Six. So, you know, it's a little bit like that. I'm totally into the idea of of him being hung up on her all these years, and for for him to be hurt his you know, one true love, one that got away, and it makes them ending up together better. It certainly seems like he would want to spend his the rest of his life with her on Talos 4, and part of him regrets that he couldn't before, which I, I find that very strange, but okay. Like, it makes me feel better about the ending of the menagerie in that respect. And Simmount just really sold it to me. When she shows up and he, like, almost falls over, we haven't seen him tongue-tied and and without knowing what to say he always has he always knows what to say he has like a a, a quip or a, a rousing speech at all times but he didn't yeah. here he was and no one else was there so it was just it was like this i don't know it was just really heartfelt yeah i was like yes i have been waiting for this feeling of who am I going to ship you with? And it's <laughs> your manic pixie dream, Vina, and I'm totally into that. I am suddenly a little sad that we're not going to get, like, him walking around with a head, Vina, like <laughs> like Baltar and Six, and just, you know, I love that trope. I definitely want that. I I really hope that we at least see her one more time. I don't know, I just, I, I, I'll write that fanfiction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where she's still popping up now and then, and he's like, are you real? Are you, like, are you a chip in my head? Or am I imagining you? Or did, did the Talosians really send you out here? Is it, like, lingering? I'm into it. Did I just hit my head really hard the last time I tried <laughs> to heroically save someone? In, in my head, she's always going to be off to the side. <laughs> She'll be in my head as well as his. Because <laughs> I, I really don't think the show's going to go there, but I'm going to go there. I read an interview with Melissa George about playing the role and how she took notes from the original performance but didn't mimic it because acting has changed so much since then. And, and it was a really interesting interview, and I'll link it in the show notes, but uh, it did sound like she doesn't expect to come back. Mm, fair. <laughs> Again, in my head. That's what fan fiction is for. Exactly. It was such good casting. She's youthful, but she's not young, just like Susan Oliver was. And she has a little pixie face. And, you know, I don't really rate George as an actor, but I think that's because I have been seeing her work since she was a teenager doing Australian soaps. And no disrespect to my country, but we do terrible, terrible soap operas. And, you know, you always have that sort of um, juvenile acting in the background when you see one of those actors as fully-fledged award-winning performers with actual careers and stuff. She embodied the role so well, and the look was good, but, like, they didn't mimic her 60s blowout bob, but she had a beehive, she still had a shiny dress. I have a lot of feelings about the shoes. I think the shoes were a bad decision in terms of costuming, but, you know, that's a nitpick. Mm. I liked that it was the same but different. Mm. Because... It wasn't like they weren't trying to recreate something that they couldn't recreate. That like these are different actors. Like they literally yeah. just showed the original and then moved into it. So it, it couldn't be the same. And so they were like, we're gonna do you know a new version that like with the flowers, Spock's flowers yes. that Michael got to see. 
they were the same idea, but they were like, we have a little more money to throw at this, and we, you know, we can light it in a, in a really beautiful way. But they still had the same idea, and it was still, it was a very clear what was going on there, and they had yeah. Michael do Nimoy, but not, it had Sneeko do Nimoy, but it was, but it was still her own thing. It was, it was yeah. just very... Like, all of, the whole episode was a nod to the original series, but not, not even an homage. It was like a, a, it was, it was, yeah, it was like reinventing, but in a clever way. I don't know. And I think this comes back to what you were saying at the end of our episode last week, that discovery is an opportunity to revisit old ideas and recreate them for the 21st century in a respectful way that honours the work of everyone who created it in the first place, but also improves upon it. Because what is the point of making something like this if you're not improving on what's exactly. what's already been done? That's what I say when, you know, people there, oh, there's too many reboots and I mean, we're all telling, we're saying the same stories over and over again and nothing's original. And it's like, no. Like, first of all, you can't tell an original story if you've been telling stories for 5,000 years. Like... All these stories have already been told, but if you do do it in an original way, like your point of view is the difference. Yeah. Like every single person can read the same story and see it completely differently. The big reboot that everyone always complains about is Spider-Man. And I think that's because the last few, one, they came very soon after the other, you know, Tobey Maguire, the other guy, the other guy. And the first couple were almost retreads. It was the same story, beat for beat for beat. And it was very, it didn't didn't add a new perspective. It didn't do anything new. And I think that's why the... The current Spider-Man, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, where it's not, we don't have his origin story, mm-hmm. and then Into the Spider-Verse have both reson- resonated so strongly because they are new takes. Right, like Into the Spider-Verse, it like takes what you complain about knowing, like you knowing all the story already, and it always being the same and having the same beats, and it uses that to tell yes. the story. <laughs> it's a new take on an old story, and that's what this episode was as well it didn't even require you to have seen the cage. like i'm glad that we saw the cage but it wasn't making fun of you for if you didn't no. see it if discovery is the first star trek you've ever seen that's okay <laughs> it was telling its own story using the trappings of this other story yeah and it's hardly a retelling of the cage you know it's using the setting and the concepts in a new way i think that makes all the difference as well right yeah, so let's, let's move on from that. I don't even, I, I think that was a bullet point that wasn't even on our list. Well, no, Vina. Vina was on our bullet okay. point. It was just, it was further down, but I just had to explode a bit at you. Um, I mean, she's important. Yeah, yeah. Spock and Michael. Spock and Michael. They, they were finally in a scene, actually, where they both knew that they were there and communicating Although they weren't communicating particularly well, but that was very true too. Like their relationship, both in the um, flashbacks and the present, was so siblings. Like I was yes. just like, wow, I have three brothers, and I can tell you, <laughs> three younger brothers. And it was like, this is true. This is, this is all very true right now. I loved the beard line. Do you really think that beard is working for you? One because. It is funny, 
And it is absolutely something that a sister would say to her brother. I wouldn't say it to my brother because I'd hurt his feelings. And I generally try not to do that. But also when we were children, I tried to murder him. So, you know, I, I sort of get where Michael is coming from. But it kind of points to the fact that despite the lack of trust that Spock has for her, they have in the past had a sibling relationship of teasing and affection, even if there was little beyond that after the estrangement like Mm -hmm. they didn't just sit in silence for 18 more years exactly it's like they were still in the same house so they can't have you know even if spock turned into automaton spock at that point they still affected each other in and they still interacted and teased and learned together there was just this permanent awareness that Spock would not trust her because of what she said to him and I think maybe that didn't become apparent until years later when you look back as an adult and go oh oh that's why we never quite connected again yeah that's what Amanda said mm. she said you know this is why we don't like have family holidays or you know, this is this is why we can't all be in the same room and, and have a good conversation this <laughs> is where I can bring up my bullet point that I still blame <laughs> Sarek for all of this <laughs> Like, Sarah is, is responsible for everything that is wrong in this household. And secondary is Amanda. And these two children are just caught up in it. Okay? Like, right. How old is Michael even supposed to be at this point? I don't think she could be more than 10. Yeah. I, I completely understand why she feels all this guilt. But at one point she said, I'm, I was a child. And Spock's like, I don't care. And it's like, no, but she's right. You yeah, cannot. Yeah. You can, like, a 10-year-old child cannot have this huge weight on her especially when she'd already lived through so much and and, you know I said worse things to my brother I was an only child for several years before he came along and I may have at one point told him that he ruined my life but you know in our family we have the skills to deal with that we either politely ignore it and move on or we apologize and move on and either way eventually it just becomes this funny story that I tell on podcasts like the time (laughs) he ate a snail and Sarek's family don't have... It, it's like moving on is a skill that they don't possess. All Vulcans... They're not good at it. ...are bad. <laughs> it's because they don't talk about their feelings. And, I mean, I, I know that they don't... They repress feelings. They don't not have them. They're mm. not, like, absent. But... But they treat acknowledging their feelings at all as something taboo. Right. There's a difference between... Uh, you know, your feelings not getting in the way of of your decisions and your outlook and just ignoring that you have feelings. I do think that this is an aspect of Vulcan society which will change, you know, because I, I don't want to turn this into the Tuvok podcast, but when he is a young man in the 23rd century, he's very anti-human and very straight down the line Vulcans. You know, humans are not as good. Why are we hanging out with them? And as he grows and becomes older and more experienced and wiser, he's much more accepting of humanity and the more emotional races. And he's yeah. much more open about his own feelings. I think his growth parallels that of Vulcan society. I like Vulcans. I don't want to write them off entirely. I just think the 23rd century is a bad time for them. Hmm. Tuvok is a kid at this point too, right? Like he's probably like little Spock's age now. I think he's not actually born for another 10 years or so, but yeah. 10 years is still not a big, because he serves with Sulu. 
Yeah. And then he takes like seven years off or whatever. So. Yeah. His parents make him join Starfleet and he does so out of duty. He serves the minimum amount of time that he can and then quits and does his own thing. And then as an older man, he goes back. After he gets married and has kids and, and realizes that his parents had his best interests at heart. I yes. Think is, is the story goes. So, and obviously Spock also, he finds his family on the Enterprise and becomes more comfortable with his emotions and, and does let them show. Even in this episode, by the end of the episode, he was like, I am acknowledging my emotions. Yeah. But you notice he does that with Pike, not Michael. Right. Because, right. And I think that that is significant for the same reason that I said that he, you know, he finds his family on the Enterprise. Like Starfleet getting away from his family and Vulcan and joining Starfleet, even though it like caused this rift and everything, was the best thing for him very clearly because he found somewhere to belong. Do you have any ideas why Spock would choose Michael to help him and not yeah. say Amanda? <laughs> Other than the plot required it, not really. My explanation for why he wouldn't choose Amanda is he cares about his relationship with her more. Mm. Like, that's, that's mean, but I feel that he idolizes his mother in a certain way, and he definitely idealizes their relationship. Yes. He, maybe he didn't want her to see him so broken. Um, mm. Maybe he didn't want to risk her life. Well, certainly, um, I doubt Amanda would have the skills to get them to Talos 4 without detection. Yeah, but that's also true in that she just isn't... Trained. Yeah. Like, she just doesn't have the stuff. And obviously he's not going to choose Sarek because he's not speaking to Sarek. Um, and also, no. who would choose Sarek? <laughs> like... I would choose Sarek. It would be hilarious. <laughs> um, um, and I guess there's no one else. But... I mean... I'm just, I'm just going Michael, through... But... I suppose if he needs someone who's known him as long as possible, that really just does leave his family and Michael. Uh, unless anyone wants to write the AU where he takes to Pring. I was just going to say, there's to Pring. At this point, they're still sharing a mind, sort of. <laughs> So, uh, I feel like she's probably had a bad couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. this, this, is, this, this explains why she was just like, nope, yeah. no, no, this isn't happening. I'm going to go find a new one right now. I have 10 years to figure out how to get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much time you need for a Vulcan. Michael, she didn't think of any of these, you know, rational ideas. And obviously she doesn't know they're in a television series, but she was like, you picked me because our relationship is the is the fulcrum of this entire plot and and it's i re don't remember the exact line but she was just she put a lot of emphasis on their relationship and how important it was to something be beyond them like to not just the two of them but to this whole adventure that they're on which was sort of like in a meta way the series <laughs> And I was just like, wow, that's like a, a they are just lobbing a, a, a real volley at the anti-discovery people here. Because she's saying their relationship that Spock has to his adoptive sister that they don't want to acknowledge exists is the heart of Star Trek. Well, I think, one, Michael is amazing and deserves that place. And two... If you're going to make a, a prequel series, why shouldn't you do this? 
Like, go all out. And, of course, Michael and Spock's relationship is integral to whatever the Red Angel wants, because the Red Angel connected them years ago. The Red Angel appearing to Spock for the first time when he's a child in order to save Michael's life Mm. from scary Vulcan creature. This, I mean, this is like a good reason for it to be Michael, but it makes me really not want it to be Michael. Like, I really like the Amanda idea better at that point because I don't want Michael's first act as time-traveling, super-powered creature to be saving her own life. So, so that she no, can become no. time-powered, super, super... Like, it, that's, that's the bad part of predestination paradoxes, in my opinion. I am no longer completely sure that the angel is Michael purely because Spock melds with her and I, I feel like he would recognize her mind. I would hope. But also, we don't know how many melds he's... Like, he's young. How many, mel- how many minds has he melded? We know that he never melded with Sarek. I don't know why he would True. meld with Amanda because she's human and Michael. Like, I don't know. Well, plus there's no trust between them by the time he's old enough to start considering mind work. Melds. Yeah. It makes sense to me that if you melded with a family member, even if it was the first time, that there would be like some kind of, hey, it's a family member, it's a family bond. Even if it's, like, definitely with Amanda... Um, but even with Michael, I feel like it's melding goes beyond blood. And so it would still be like, hey, it's your sister. Well, yeah, there's like common experiences. So I, I do and... agree with you that, that, there should, that there should be like this thing. But I also don't know, le- I don't know what his experience level is or if there were extenuating circumstances or, I don't, mm. I don't know. Because he, like, he, we know that he, he got a, that the angel is like, sad and lonely and and lost or de- maybe desperation was the word I don't know but so he got something and and human right yeah definitely human definitely female I mean it, it really limits the number of people um, yeah and then if we can if we can take out Tilly, because she doesn't have the body shape. I don't think it's Ariane, because I don't think she would come up in a mind meld as a purely human mind. Mm-hmm. I think we can safely exclude Kat. Uh, like, Nan, Detma, Awashikon, they're two minor them. characters. Yeah. None of yeah. Those. Maybe Jet Reno. <laughs> I'm sorry. That would be hilarious. It doesn't. It doesn't really fit. It doesn't really fit with her character as we understand it. No. But it, it seems odd that she's a that she's here and she has these amazing skills and hasn't really had much to do with the arc yet beyond being rescued. Uh, but the angel thought she was worth rescuing. Maybe it's Vina. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no. I'm seriously considering that. I mean, this is this is how much I don't want to be Michael, I guess. But I should probably get over that, and so that I'm not like upset when it happens. You've persuaded me that it again that it could be Michael, but I don't know. I don't. I don't feel certain about anything angel related anymore. I'm just along for the ride. Yes, and and I like that. I like. I don't need to know until it's clear, which 
sometimes it's clear before it happens on screen, but it's not like we're not there yet. There's a lot of speculation. Right? Yeah, we're in, we're in prime speculation time. You know, going back to season one, this is the, about the time we were just beginning to suspect that Lorca might actually be from the Mirror Universe, and that was cre- previously a ridiculous crack theory. Right. So, so we'll see. Yeah, we have five, six episodes left. All right. Let's talk so, about. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we have some Section 31 to talk about, but along the way, you asked this terrible question, and I cannot get it out of my head. In the Mirror Universe, did the Emperor really destroy the Telosians, or does she only think she did? <laughs> I mean, that's their power, right? I know, I know. And I, I just, I would like to see her face if someone asks her that. <laughs> so, I know. Again, it's a throwaway line that no one is going to worry about and is never going to come up again. But I was like, I just sat there for like five minutes trying to decide if she was successful, you know, because who knows in, in that world, yeah. the Telosians, I mean, the Telosians are like creepy enough on our, on our universe. So who, <laughs> like, are they less creepy in the mirror universe or are they the creepiest? Like there's... There's so many different ways it could go. And so, I, and I was just really, because I forget, you know, when we go over to the mirror universe, we like see the people we know, you know? And so yeah. I forget that the people we know but aren't in that episode, like there, of course there's a Talos in, in the mirror universe, but you never, I never thought about it until, until now. But it's like, I really, I really want to know. I assume that the Telosians in that universe are not very different from the ones that we have here, but, you know, because they're real people and all. But they would have encountered Terran Vina. Ooh, oh. Terran Vina! See, See now, now I'm contemplating, like, the mirror universe version of the cage, and it's... Amazing. Honestly, I don't even want to know what terrible fantasies Mira oh, Pike has. All the bad things about the cage times 10,000. That's what I'm picturing. That's what I'm picturing. There's a lot to think about with Mirror Talos. And yeah. I like to imagine that the Emperor, they, they gave the Emperor what she wanted and they still exist. <laughs> I think that is also going to be my head canon going forward. And the best bit is it is never going to be addressed by canon because like you said, it was a no throwaway one. line. <laughs> We are the only people who are sitting here contemplating this. But yeah, so speaking of people who are terrible and also incompetent, Section 31. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're so bad at their job. I mean, like, yeah, we haven't met anyone other than Leland and Giorgio, but Giorgio is, like, actively working against (laughs) Section 31, and no one seems to notice. Even Leland is only sl- slowly starting to get there to the, oh, maybe I shouldn't trust her. Which is just delightful. Like, mate, <laughs> you are such a sheltered, precious baby. I enjoyed the four evil admirals who seem to run Section 31 in conjunction with an AI called Control. Apparently that's an idea from a novel, which I haven't read. And spoilers, I'm probably not going to go on and read it. But one... Letting an AI run your secret organization is a really bad idea. Two, so glad that we have more evil admirals, and I'm absolutely going to ship Cat with Admiral Patak, the supercilious Vulcan woman. And 
Three, I really feel like they should have maybe not recruited Giorgio because I can only see this ending with Giorgio running Section 31. And how is that going to be good for anyone? I mean, yeah, so... Except for me, a person who loves shenanigans. Obviously, that's going to be good for me. I just recently finished watching Person of Interest, which is, like, literally about a super AI running your covert intelligence operation. I was just like, this is, you know, this is exactly the same story. And, and, it, and it's great. I love, I love it. I love seeing that story in Star Trek. And the, yeah, the Council of Badmirals were amazing. I love that it was like, I don't know why there were four of them in the meeting. They, there were the four races um, that founded the Federation. It was like some weird, we have to, there was no in-universe explanation for what was going on. I imagine that it's going to come out that Section 31 and these four admirals are in some ways not trusting the newer members of the Federation or something like that. Yeah. I can see that. Like they, they it's like Section 31 is the, the, the founders or something. But it was just, it was like, they really only need one admiral to yell at these people. Like, the Vulcan was the only one who talked. So the other three were just sort of there to be creepy, scary, like, hey guys, we're the Federation. I loved it because it was what I'm always talking about. It was the Federation as obvious bad guys. <laughs> like, look, this is, this is textual. They, you, you're not, we shouldn't trust these people. And the fact that Leland kept trying to talk, like I loved that, that she was like, no, I'm disinterested in you, even though it was so misguided to, to listen to Giorgio over anyone, really. I mean, you know, I don't think that Leland has anything great to, to contribute to the conversation, so it wasn't like we were really missing his amazing point of view. No, I just like seeing men shut down. Yes, exactly. That it was it was excellent. Happy International Women's Day. <laughs> like the entire time I was just like, man, section 31 is made up of ridiculously like there how could you not assume everything that happened after this point would happen? Like they're just so bad at their job. I almost wondered if they have decided to cut Leland loose and they're just waiting to see how long it takes before he figures that out. <laughs> do you, do you, are you retired? You know, is it, is it going to be a person of interest kind of thing where they, they shoot you in the back or is it going to be like a bird notice kind of thing where they <laughs> just destroy your life but leave you alive to see, you know, so they can continue using you? well but not pay you anymore like I, you know I, you know I don't I still I do not care about Leland like at all at this point I don't care about him and I am very confident that he is going to die next week but who is so who's I... gonna kill him <laughs> probably is it, is Giorgio. It Giorgio is it Giorgio but... she's the obvious but if since it seems like the discovery is going after section 31 Yes, okay. Spoilers for the trailer for next week, but next week we see Cat uh, Cornwell on Discovery guiding the ship to the heavily defended Section 31 headquarters, which A, she's back, I'm so happy. B, this seems like a really bad idea, <laughs> and if they kill Cat off, I will be 
devastated. I mean, that, yeah, that, that's all we'll talk about next week, just, just so everyone is aware. I, I just keep having flashbacks to all those times in 2017 and 18 where I would spend a whole week wondering if Kat was going to make it to the next episode. I'm tired of that. Please, stop. I know she's a supporting character and can therefore be killed with impunity, but I would care. Yeah, I was there. I It's like I wrote about it at Women of War. <laughs> so uh, so I, like you can go read about how I kept having panic attacks in between episodes of Discovery. Because I was so invested in Cat Cornwell. At one point, I wrote a 14,000 word fic in two weeks instead of working on an original project like I was meant to be doing, but I just had to get it out of my system. But anyway, candidates for possibly killing Leland. Giorgio is at, t- at the top of my list. Uh, then the Council of Badmirals under instructions from Control. And then I'm wondering, Pike that would be sad. or Cat or even Michael. Or Arium. Or Arium. Rogue Arium. Don't forget her. She has absolutely been hacked. Yeah, and if she's been hacked by the... Like, maybe there's the Red Angel working with the good guys and there's the Red Angel working with the bad... Or, like, the tech of the Red Angel that's working with the bad guys and that's, like, the squid... And that hacked Arium. And so I'm, I'm really beginning to believe in your Section 31 from the future. Like, even just the, the bad morals really, they, they make sense if that's what's going on. That, and I think if Section 31 is in some way controlled or even just influenced by an AI, yeah. you know, the lifespan of an AI could be millennia. Exactly. And it could have created, like, the Red Angel... Okay, so it's human, but what maybe it's a a human that the AI like raised as their daughter and has gone rogue to fight against it. Exactly. And its army of space squids? Right. <laughs> See, I've been feeling like it's too late in the piece to introduce a new character who could be the Red Angel, but I actually really like that idea because it would be such a good parallel to Michael. Right, because uh, because this uh, this uh, season and really the whole series, but definitely this season has really been drilling home on the this is about family mm. and about the different ways of creating family. You know, even the Pike and Vina is about yeah. you know creating a family. So and sometimes a family is a Starfleet captain, the crazy lady who's been marooned on a planet for eighteen years, and their creepy telepathic voyeuristic hosts, <laughs> and their and their friendly Vulcan who visits once in a while. <laughs> I'm just saying, I like the I like the idea of a Section Thirty One's AI in you know five hundred years in the future has their their perfect like you got a baby and and turned it into the the perfect agent but then that agent realized that this was a bad idea and they had to go save everything and that kind of comes into the spy genre tropes that you have been talking about with regard to ash and you know that's basically sydney bristow exactly that's what i'm saying this is this this is how lefem nikita ended guys it turned out Nikita was the original operation's daughter all along. And she was raised to be in Section 1. And it wasn't 
she wasn't like found off the street as a homeless urchin. I am super into this theory, but I kind of don't want it to be like Michael's literal descendant. <laughs> not because not because I'm the, against the idea of Michael having children one day, but I don't want her to be tied into that through predestination. Mm. And also we'll just spend the rest of the series forever and ever debating about who the dad is going to be. Or, you know, the great, 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 great granddad. Yeah, that's true. Let's, let's avoid... Uh... I, I was almost going to say, well, it can't be Ash. He already has a kid. That's actually not how biology works. I don't know if you're aware, but men can have more than one child. Now, speaking about Ash, he had his own thing happening completely separate from Talos. Yes. He had a lot of feelings. He was really sincere when he says he's not going to be affected by them. Uh, yeah, and Pike Bless. is like, yeah, nope. <laughs> That's not true. So... I mean, just, Pike looked so resigned. He was just like, ugh. Like, you know. Honestly, Ash is definitely trying. And Ash, I feel, you know, I, I constantly feel badly for Ash. He, uh, you know, I called him a puppy in, in the last episode. And he was very <laughs> much a puppy this, this episode. I know that we, as the audience, know what's going on. And we know that it was Arium. But it was also, like, he twice in this episode told like pike asked him a question and ash told him the 100 percent truth and like yes and then pike was like i don't believe you at the end and it was just really sad to me because he's ash was being completely above board and at the same time i don't blame anyone for thinking that the guy who was secretly another person and was not in control of his actions last year is not in control of his actions this year it's like well it didn't even cross my mind that it's a possibility that section 31 could have brainwashed him but i think that pike raising the possibility is actually really kind to ash because a few weeks ago he would have jumped to the worst possible conclusion and this is a pretty bad conclusion from Ash's psychological perspective, but in terms of not perceiving him as a willing traitor, it's a real step forward. Yes. It's like, well, at least we know it's not you, but we're still going to punish you because it might be other you. Yeah, I was like, so maybe you should be sending him to sickbay to get his brain checked out, <laughs> and this time, like, have security on hand in case something triggers and he goes to break a neck. Like, yeah. that's a thing. I mean, I, I honestly, I'm kind of upset about... They, someone said that we haven't met the uh, chief medical officer on Discovery, that it's not, it was never Hugh, and it's not Dr. Pollard either. And I thought it was Dr. Pollard. I don't, I just, I just read it somewhere. And so I don't mm. know. But I, whether it's Dr. Pollard or the other imaginary CMO, like, they are not taking care of their people. We've we've discussed no. at length that everyone on this ship needs therapy. But like the fact that they're just letting Hugh sort of go off with Paul and do whatever, that's a problem. That that no one's checking in with Ash, that no one like when he first came on board as the liaison, mm. they should have been like, "Hey, so we're going to do a scan of you so that we when we start worrying that something is going on, we will be able to tell that something's different with your scan. Like, it's just, these are, 
easy things. I feel like that's what's done in the military when there's not possession and and mind control and crazy Klingon shenanigans going on. That we know about. The first thing you do when you get to a new ship is get a physical. And, like, maybe it happened off screen, but it just seems like they're, they could be doing better in the anticipating medical mm. problems based on the fact that they did all this, you know, they, they went through it once. Yeah. It's interesting. I've never been a proponent of the argument that Discovery must have a CMO and a chief engineer and all of that, because that's what Star Trek does. Like, I've never really agreed with that. And part of the reason is that I know the original idea for Next Generation was that the chief engineer and the chief medical officer were not going to be regular characters because we want to try something new. And instead, they wound up with those regulars and it just sort of became the formula. But now I'm wondering, without a major character in that role, is this sort of plot stuff just being overlooked because no one's going, hey, what's this character going to do this week? Yes. I think that is the problem. I think that's exactly the problem. And because it's not important to work in that, that type of character, we don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, I don't... I'm just concerned. I'm concerned about everyone's mental and physical health. And it just seems like I don't need it to be a regular person. I'm fine with Dr. Pollard showing up every once in a while and, and saying something ridiculous. And then I'll be happy with it. But if they're not acknowledging it at all, it's it's it seems like it's not happening. And yeah, I just like I'm just where was Hugh? Like we said, where was Hugh last week? Because this week it seemed like like he woke up yesterday, and it, it's just it was weird. It was a weird because there was an episode where he didn't show up at all, but they when we saw him before in sick bay, it seems like hey, you're ready to he go. He's being released. You can go now. And so it was just like, what, what, like, what? the timeline is not making sense. Like, you know, even Saru, like, someone should be, like, at Checking least Pike in. is noticing that Saru is different, but someone should be monitoring Saru because he kind of died. Like, you have three people on board that have gone through something that no one else has ever gone through. We should at least monitor that in some way. I know there's a lot going on, but it's just... It's um, true, and these are very, very busy episodes, but I don't know, just dear CBS All Access, please make a web series of five-minute seamlets every week that's just people quietly doing their jobs. <laughs> I know. I and like... Saru Gardening. And Saru Gardening. Oh, I would... I would yes. I've killed another plant this week, rip my coriander, so I could really do with some tips if Saru wants to offer them. Yeah, so like, let's, since we're here, let's talk about Hugh. He has some rage. I've seen a lot of reviews saying, well, what does he have to be angry about? Doesn't he know that he's burning goodwill? And I don't think he knows why he's angry. I think this is not just anger, but fear and sadness and the frustrating sense of being in a body that's familiar but unfamiliar and everything feels strange but in ways he can't articulate and he's under so much pressure understandably but under so much pressure to slip back into his life as if he never left 
with, with the things that I've read um, have been praising Discovery for not slipping him back into, you know, yeah. his life. And they've all been uh, describing it as post-traumatic stress and saying that it's akin to a soldier who is in a war zone and then coming home and being expected to just be happy to be home and no longer in the war zone, but they don't know how to do that. I think that's a really, really apt comparison, and it just highlights the parallels between Ash and Hugh even more. But I don't fault Paul for wanting his Hugh back and for expecting things to go on as they were before. You, you know, I think there's no precedent for this situation. No. And I felt, I mean, he... he our hearts were breaking for him when he said, you know, is it is it because you don't want it anymore or you just can't? And, and you know, he couldn't even get an answer to that. So, like, yeah. I compl- I, everybody, this is a terrible situation for all three of them. <laughs> like, I love that, that they are playing up the parallel between them um, and it would be very Star Trek if it ends up like Hugh and Ash bond over this and end up being like healing each other. Yeah, I was saying to a friend elsewhere, I don't necessarily want them to become BFFs, but I would like them to become confidants who hate each other a little. Because I think there's potential there for a really complicated and interesting relationship. Yeah, it would have to be complex and it would have to, it would have to be slow, I think. But... their healing should be slow too like that brings it back to you can't just snap your fingers and walk back into this life when you died or and they both and you both died and were reborn (laughs) so and not only that but hugh died violently you know spock died slowly of radiation poisoning and he was quite at peace with that he it was a knowing sacrifice hugh died suddenly and violently without warning right i understand that the paul hugh shippers are angry that they've put a pause on their relationship and they feel very cheated but for me that works because i don't think hugh should be jumping into a relationship even an old existing one so soon like how can you share a bed and living space and a life with someone if you don't even feel right in your own body anymore like they shouldn't have killed him in the first place if they didn't want to this to happen like i this is the way that it needs to happen so i i agree that um yeah i'm sorry that like i if people who are very invested in that relationship which I'm I'm not to the extent that they are, and so it's no, it's same. not fair so for me. It's, to, it's not fair for me yeah. to say, but I just feel like that ship has already sailed. If they wanted them to just have a a happy quote unquote normal relationship, he couldn't die and then become a mushroom man and come back to life. And like th- this whole <laughs> at this point, we need to to move forward. And I'm I'm certain. I feel very secure in the belief that it is going to be a story of them falling back in love. Yes, and that, you know, we've had the established relationship and now we get the falling in love and getting back together story. And I think that's actually quite cool that you can have both in this, both and out of order. You know, that's that's very Star Trek. And I, I from an outsider's perspective, I think those shippers are quite lucky, but I also understand that they would entirely disagree at this particular point in time. 
it's mi- it's misery all the time, and that's something that homosexual relationships in fiction get a lot of. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Mm. But it's also, like, I, no one is happy on the ship. Like, literally no one <laughs> is in a happy, secure relationship and doing well. So it's sort of misery all the time for everyone. So at least there's uh, that. <laughs> oh, Washakon and Detmer seem pretty happy with their lives. <laughs> But that's just because we don't know what's going on when they're not doing their I job. Know, I know, it's great. <laughs> uh, so, Tilly, Tilly is doing okay? Tilly's doing okay right now, but she went through a lot and it could <laughs> come back to haunt us at any moment. <laughs> so, this is this is very true. And also like I am interested in where the Hugh and Paul relationship is going, which I wasn't last year. But like you said, this the unhappy queer relationship is a trope in fiction. And it's like, I love Michael because she works so hard for what she gets, whereas characters like Kirk get things handed to them very easily. But I also know that it's a trope that a woman of colour has to work harder, even in fiction, to get what is given to a white male character. And some people just aren't into watching that. Yeah, very, very good points. I, I mean, I think that you and I are both on the same wavelength where, like, trauma and, and misery and, and terrible things happening all the time is great. Um, but... Uh, well, I like I like recovery stories. Exactly, so. but you can't have a recovery story without having the trauma. Exactly. It's like doing hurt comfort without the hurt. Right. And, and a recovery story, like, it's powerful beca- because it's traumatic, <laughs> I guess. Yes, yes. And, and for me, it's an empowering story to follow because the character comes out stronger. But if you don't like the trauma to begin with, then this is not really a trope or a storyline that's going to work for you. Right. <laughs> this, this is, I've, I've had this conversation about Star Trek. There are plenty of people who want it to be oh, the hopeful, shining example and don't want any of that darkness. Well, then you get into stuff like Gene Roddenberry's idea that uh, humanity has evolved past the need for a child to mourn for his dead mother, which I think is horrifying. Yeah, right, exactly. And I'm th- that's what I'm saying I'm always in the argument is because I'm always like, well, that's unrealistic. <laughs> and, and also... It's not just unrealistic, it's inhuman well, it's horrible right. it's unrealistic for the shining happy hopeful yes. to happen without going through something first like you, you can't you can't get there and it, it also it's not going to stay that way because we are always evolving change is always happening and it's both the same and different at all times and i think the theme of season one was that utopia is something that we have to it's, it's one thing to achieve utopia, but then you have to do the work to maintain it. Right. Because if you don't, then it just become, it becomes, it becomes Vulcan. But also if you do too much work, you end up with Section 31. Right. So you, there's a balance. And, and that's what yeah. Star Trek should be about. And, and I think is about. Because again, yeah. we wouldn't have all, like, <laughs> at the end of this episode, Pike makes that speech on the bridge where he's like, I'm not going to f- order anybody to you know, go against regulations and all of Starfleet command again. <laughs> and and they're like, nope, we're totally on board. And it's like, this wouldn't happen every season of every Star Trek series if 
that utopia just existed. Like, they, yeah, literally, yeah. they are always rebelling against the machine. So that means that the system is broken. Like, you, I, I've sort of come to the idea that systems are almost intended to break and that fixing them is, is the, like, that's, that's how, that's the utopian thing is is acknowledging that this is broken and now we have to fix it again and it's going to break again and we have to fix it again and and you can't just if you you just keep it if you just let it be broken then you get palpatine in power and you get section Mm. 31 and you get the terran empire it's like building a highway network it's great to build it but then you need to do the work to stop it from falling into disrepair exactly and i think one of the reasons i'm so frustrated well, not, I'm not so frustrated, but I'm mildly frustrated with Discovery's depiction of mental health or lack thereof this season is that they should be doing the work and they're not. Like that maintenance work on people's psyches just isn't happening. Yeah. Whereas I guess last year Kat was around to point out when Lorca was going a bit crazy. And so we saw the evidence, you know, she has test results that she can look at and so forth. And she's the one questioning why Ash is allowed back on duty. And mm-hmm. that's not happening this year for perfectly reasonable plot reasons. Yeah. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, I am—I do not think the cat needs to single-handedly manage the the mental health of all of Starfleet. Like that's not her job, but it needs to be someone's job. And I just wish we had more hints yeah. that it was happening in the background. Right. And right, exactly. And the, and those little hints aren't happening. Like I said, yeah. the, it see from my perspective, all of medical is letting this down. That's that's where I'm at. I mean, this is like my, it's like literally my, my thesis project is trauma and recovery in Star Trek, like the, the presentation of it and how it's changed over the years. And I'm not, I'm supposed to be ignoring this season because I'm supposed to be writing it now. Um, <laughs> so, but I want, like, I really want to include this season because they are doing great things and bad things, which is is like that's what <laughs> spoiler alert that's what my thesis uh was, the result is that it it's incremental change it gets it starts out pretty good for the 60s mm. and it is always sort of acknowledging that these that these situations exist that mental health is a thing that trauma is a thing that that you have to do that there there is it does need to be fixed but they're terrible at maintenance they're absolutely mm. awful at it's like they're very you know good at pointing a spotlight on a problem and i think this is true with everything <laughs> but then leaving i mean it's like the whole caminar thing two episodes ago it's like we you know what about those guys obviously we've moved on because it's our story is about the red angel but i hope somebody is taking care of kaminar so last year they they really like textually and specifically shone a light on trauma and recovery and the mental health profession in starfleet but Mm. this year they're like they've moved on to now we're discussing relationships and and uh, and family and like how the trauma of that, but they are not acknowledging the like they're not doing maintenance or any any there's no throwaway lines about mental health or counseling mm. or any of that. It's like they they're so they're good at the beginning 
but they're not good at continuing. And I think it's it's because it's television and it's because it's they're they're telling a certain story. You know, before Discovery, all of those other series, they were very episodic. There were very few instances where something carried over past mm. the first, you know, one or two episodes. So it was not part of the uh, formula. But Discovery isn't episodic, and so... It makes it more apparent. Exactly. It's, it's, it's more obvious when they sort of let a thread go. That is a really good point, and I think we should probably wrap up there. We're going a bit long. Yeah, I, I know. I feel like there's so, so much happened this episode. Like, it's too much. Too much to talk about. We need to go back to... You know, episodes like New Eden, where nothing much happens and we just complain. Which is, it's so, we're so funny. It's like, I loved this episode, but, um. I know, it's great. It was so good. And I love all the stuff that's going on. And, and I love, but we're talking, but yeah, we're talking too much. So I will end. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Five star reviews help make us visible to the planet and control. You cannot support us on Patreon or like us on Facebook, because we're afraid of control. But you can find us on Twitter at at antimatterpod, all one word, and also at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. Please send vaguely positive thoughts in our direction and cookies. And join us next week for more Discovery! Yay!